good morning. Good to see all of you who are here, and, and if you're well, uh, watching from home, welcome. Glad that you can be a part of this as well. Open up in your Bible to Isaiah 42, where we will be uh, studying God's Word together. We're continuing our series entitled Visions of Hope, which is looking at Christmas through the eyes of Isaiah, peering alongside him down through the centuries as he looked ahead to Jesus Christ. <coughs> So about 12 years ago, our family was getting ready to move to, to Fossey, and uh, we, were, we were coming up here to help get this church started, and, uh, and I took a trip up here in order to kind of get the lay of the land, figure out where things were. Some, God bless this person, some person told me, don't live right off of Route 3. Oh, okay, I didn't know. You know, so it's just, it's very crowded up there, right? So getting a lay of the land, trying to figure out where we're going to live. Uh, where the church is going to be, all that kind of a thing. Now, um, I, I came up and, and a friend showed me around. And this friend, I, I won't mention his name. He still attends this church. I won't mention his name, but it starts with an F and begins with, and ends with a, a red. But I won't tell you exactly who he is, but, uh, but he's still in the church and he's sitting uh, right in here with us. And uh, so he and I were driving around. As I recall the story. I was driving and he was kind of directing me, you know, and, and helping me get to know different areas, some in North Stafford, some Foxy, some Fredericksburg, you know, getting, getting a feel. And so we're over um, on the east side of Fredericksburg. We take a left onto some uh, relatively small country road, but it's a paved road. And so we're just chatting and talking. We're zipping along this country road, 35, 40 miles an hour, something like that, enjoying the scenery, come up over a small rise, and the road ends. I mean, ends. It's over. You're done right now. This was to say this was sudden would be a dramatic understatement, right? I mean, all of a sudden, it's, we go from chatting to brakes on, skidding to a stop. Thankfully, we were able to stop by the time the road ends. I don't know if we missed the sign that was there, or if they just didn't have a sign because all the locals know that the road ends. Obviously. Uh, but it almost gave a new definition to that term, the dead end road, as we uh, came suddenly to a, to a stop. You know, as we get into Isaiah 42, we're, we're coming alongside a people who are hurtling down a dead end road. Isaiah is he's looking out over humanity, over all peoples, and he sees that all peoples are, are heading down this dead end road road. They, no one is, is following God. They're trying to find fulfillment in all these places other than in God. They're, they're desiring things and worshiping things and wanting things more than they want God. You know what the, the Bible calls this? is idolatry. Idolatry. Whenever we want something more than God, worship something Above God, trust in something instead of God. That's idolatry. Now, when you hear the word, when I hear the word idolatry, I tend to think of little golden statues, right? And how people used to, or in some parts of the world still do, bow down and worship little golden statues. But if that's what you think of when you think of idolatry, you've missed the heart of it. Because idolatry is about the heart. You can have a house full of golden statues and not be in idolatry. 
And you can have a house devoid of golden statues and be consumed by idolatry. And that's what Isaiah is looking out and seeing. And he's not exactly gentle with, with the idols that he is addressing. And, and so, if you've got your Bible open to chapter 42, look up a few verses into chapter 41, verse 24. He's talking to idols, and he just says, Behold, you are nothing. Your works are less than nothing. An abomination is he who chooses you. Behold, you, you are nothing, you, you idols of man, who make big promises and can keep none of them. And then again, down in verse 29, the last verse in chapter 41, Behold, they are all a delusion. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. Behold, they are nothing. Behold, they are an illusion. A delusion. Behold the dead end of idolatry. Behold humanity hurtling down that road in the dark, unaware that the road is ending, unaware that it leads to nowhere. Behold a world running after the wind. Behold. Okay, now we're ready to hear the first word of chapter 42. Behold. And God gives his answer to idolatry. He gives his remedy to the situation that all of humanity finds itself in. Let's read chapter 42, verses 1 through 4. Behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will not grow faint for being discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Behold my servant, says the Lord. Whoa, I gave a little, I don't know if you could hear that. I hit the symbol when I said that, like a little, that's a good effect. Behold my servant, boom. Behold my servant, whom I uphold, says the Lord. So, in, in place of all these idols who are wind, who are nothing, who can do nothing, I uphold this one. This one has divine authority behind him, holding him up and causing his works to succeed. This one is my servant, and I have his back, God is saying at the beginning. And then he says, my chosen in whom my soul delights. You know, it's possible to have a servant who is, so to speak, just a servant, who accomplishes something, but there's not a real connect between master and servant. And, and God says here quite the opposite. This is not someone I am indifferent to. This is the one in whom I delight. You know, as, as, as God is talking here, you can almost hear the words spoken during Jesus' baptism. As the Father speaks from heaven and says, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Behold my servant, my chosen, in whom my soul 
delight. And then, I have put my spirit upon him, still in verse 1, he will bring forth justice to the nations. This one is going to bring justice to the nations. This is his job. And in fact, this is the main theme of these four verses. In verse 1, he'll bring forth justice to the nations. In the end of verse 3, he will faithfully bring forth justice. Then again in verse 4, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth. He is bringing justice. So what's that? You know, we, we throw these words around and it's like, okay, yep, pastor, I hear you. Jesus brings justice. Great. But, you know, where does this land in life? What, is this, what does this mean? What are, we, what are we talking about here? See, the, the way that Isaiah, that God, is using this word is he's saying he's coming to set the world right. He's coming to make it as it should be. See, where there is the lies of idolatry, he comes in and encounters those lies with the truth. Where there's an obscured, dim, wrong view of God, he, he brings the image of God and, and makes it so that people can see. But, but it's not just that. It's not just a knowledge mission in that sense. Because idolatry is wickedness. And it brings with it a host of wickedness. Idolatry... Loving something more than God will, will position you to use other people to get what you want. It's what it does to our hearts. It's what it does to humanity. God is not loved and people get used. Those things go together every time. And on the contrary, the first and second greatest commandments go together. To love the Lord your God and love your neighbor. Those go together. That's justice when that's happening. And injustice is people are used and the weak are stepped on and the unborn are killed. And justice doesn't happen in our broken world. Harming of the helpless. And so the, the servant comes to set things right. So and this is God announcing salvation in the biggest, holiest sense of the term imaginable. This is, this is worldwide change back to the way it was in Eden, back to God's design, in fulfillment of our every hope or, or desire for, for justice and for things to be right. This is what he's announcing. And he's announcing that, that this servant is going to come and do it. So the servant is going to bring justice. God's going to remake society to be as it ought to be. Now, think about this for a minute. God is going to remake society to be how he wants that. I mean, that sounds like a revolution. That sounds like, like a campaign, a, a conquest. It sounds like a conqueror is coming to set things right. Our world has had no shortage of such ideals and such people who have come to conquer and set things right, who have promised liberation through bloodshed and victory, who have promised peace through war, and have promised to establish justice, just let them do a little injustice along the way to establishing justice. And somehow, things always end up the same, where the weak are crushed, and the powerless are used, and humanity falls short yet again to the justice, the way that the world was supposed to be before God. But this servant will not fail. Here's the difference in verse 4. He will not grow faint 
or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. When it says at the end there, the coastlands wait for his law, that, that's, the, the, that's the end of the earth, the, the farthest place of the way. They long for this. They're groaning for this. People want justice. They want things to be right. Waiting for Christ to do this. So how will he come? How is this one that Isaiah sees, how is he going to come? Is he going to come as a conqueror? Well, no. He's not coming as a conqueror. He's not going to bring it, bring this through war or through political victory or through exploiting people or, or through economic sanctions. The bringer of justice is not coming as a conqueror. He's coming as a servant. Behold my servant. Verse 2. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. This is a picture of the humility of Christ. He's not coming arrogantly, boastfully. He's not tooting his own horn. He comes to heal people, and then after he heals them, he doesn't use them for his publicity machine. He doesn't live stream the healings. In fact, what do you hear him say so often in the gospel? Go and don't tell anyone. Just go. See, the people who encounter Christ get healed, not used. That's what he comes to do. This is a gentle conquest. A servant coming into the world to remake the world at its most fundamental level. Verse 3. A bruised reed he will not break. A faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. These, these are pictures of broken humanity. We sung, we sung a song this morning that is probably new to most of us, talking about, come all you unfaithful, broken people, wounded and broken, come. This is, this is Christ coming to those who are bruised reeds. A reed was, to start with, a small plant, not a powerful plant to begin with. But this reed has been snapped, bruised. It's perhaps broken halfway through and hanging by a thread. And whatever use this reed could have had to someone, it is no longer of any use whatsoever. And, and every time humanity seeks to enforce justice on other people, those are the people that get broken. Those are the people that, 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 that get harmed. It's the bruised reeds of the world. And Jesus is saying, I'm paying attention to them. I will not crush them. He's not going to come and, and conquer or step over, step on them on his way to the top. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. And this is the person, to bring this metaphor over it, that their hope is, is like a candle drowning in its own wax. You know what I'm talking about? When, when, when the wax level is too high or the, the wick is too low and it's just barely hanging on. And Jesus is saying, that one, I'm not going to extinguish that. Deal gently. You have to deal. You can accidentally put that candle out. Even inattention can let that candle go out. You say, I'm not going to let that happen. I'm coming with gentleness for those who are hurting. 
God is coming in the form of, and through His servant. This is this is what this is the the secret that Isaiah is is looking ahead and seeing. This is why there's surprise on his face as, as he as he hears what God is saying and, and, and writes it down. God is coming, but not to crush. He's coming to conquer, but through kindness and through gentleness and through compassion. You know, any man can try to conquer the world through power, but God, He is strong enough to come and conquer through His weakness. Conquer through gentleness. To receive glory through humiliation. To make things right by absorbing everything wrong into himself. This this is the picture that Isaiah is seeing ahead. See, this one would come and he would have much to endure. Verse 4 tells us his response. He will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. He will not grow faint or be discouraged. This one is coming as Christ to take on the sins of the world and he is undaunted by that reality. Isaiah is actually doing some fun things with words if we could see it in the original language. The, the, it, it's, good, it's a good translation. He will not grow faint. That word faint speaks of the faintly burning wick in the previous verse. And when it says that he will not grow discouraged, you might even have a note in your Bible that little, I do, it says bruised. It, he's using that word bruised again, that bruised reed that he's going to be gentle with. He's not going to himself have his wick quenched. He's not himself going to be a, a reed which is, is so torn apart that he stops on his mission. See, he's going to endure the same kinds of things in this world that we all endure. The, the things that would cause our wick to get low and almost go out. The things that cause us to be bruised. Christ is coming to endure that, yet despite all that, he will not slow down on his mission. These things will not stop him from doing what God has called him to do. He's not going to turn away or be dissuaded or, or slacken his pace. No, he's going to set his face towards the cross and march there with boldness. Because this one has come to establish justice and he's not going to stop until justice is established. So, how is the idolatry of the world crushed? Through the kindness of the servant. How is the idolatry of your heart overcome, dear Christian? It is not through the thunder of Sinai. It is not through the, the, the law of God with its penalties, though that serves a purpose and ought to be guardrails to us. But heart change happens through the compassion of the servant, through encountering this one, who doesn't break bruised reeds or quench saintly burning wicks. This is where change happens when we encounter this servant personally. Augustine 
when he read this, he simply wrote, the highest one became a servant. The highest one became a servant. See, he served us. Think about, think about how this worked out in time. He served us by taking on human flesh. By leaving the throne most high. And, and uniting to the divinity the weakness of humanity. And, and just bearing that. He served us by taking on our humble flesh. And then he served us by living among us with gentleness, the bruised reed and the faintly burning wick, he came gently. His company, look back at what he, his company was the sick. His, his family was the rejected. His community what was the commoner. And then he served us by lowering himself in our presence. What? This, this is God coming on the scene. And he lowers himself before his disciples, positions himself as last, not first, as coming to help, not to be helped, coming to serve and not to be served. And then he served us by taking the load of sin from our shoulders. And not just to set it on the ground or to set it on someone else, but then bearing that upon himself and taking that wretched load up Mount Golgotha to the place of the skull where he then served us by being stripped of his dignity and taking our indignity and taking our shame and taking our sin and taking the punishment and wrath of God justly built up against our sin. He served us. Friends, there has never been a more faithful servant in the history of humanity. He is the most excellent of servants. There's never one more faithful, never one more loyal, never one more helpful. And, and yet, how can this be? This servant shows his position. He wasn't forced there. He wasn't made forced to be a servant. He took this on willingly. He chose it of his own desire. He left the highest throne knowing he was going to the manger and the cross. He chose this path above all other paths and walked it. Praise be to the servant of God. Praise be to God Most High who is, who is revealed in this servant. This is who our God is. Who chooses to serve broken humanity. Praise be to this one most humble. To this one most tender. To this one most gracious. Praise be to the one whom it says that the Father delights. And don't we delight in him as well? This servant of God. So I think our application for this passage is in the first word of the passage. Behold him. Behold him. And, and in your beholding of him, turn from your idols. Stop driving down the dead-end roads. This one is able to meet your deepest need. This one is able to satisfy your, your, your deepest longing. This one will, if you but turn to him, conquer you with kindness. Disarm you with his love. Bring justice and joy 
to you. So, church, go home and throw away your idols. What's that look like? Because I doubt you've got those little golden things. Okay? What's that look like? What, what corner of your life are you withholding from Him? What area are you refusing to trust Him? Or find your joy or satisfaction in. Behold the servant. Look to him again. Turn from our, our false saviors, that our empty wind. They are nothing. They cannot deliver on their promises. And turn from them so that we can turn to him on this week. That we can worship the Christ who came on Christmas week. He is worthy of our worship. And and satisfying to us as we worship Him. So let's turn again to our Savior, Church. Let's turn to Him afresh. He, he keeps His every promise. He has begun this good work that Isaiah foresaw. This is what began 2,000 years ago. This is being extended right now through the suffering Church. But He's not done. He will return. And He will establish the justice he's promised. And he will not grow faint or be discouraged until he has done so. That day is coming. His advent, his second advent is coming. That's part of what's promised right here. He's not done yet. He will finish this work. He is returning to do it. And when he returns, may he find us faithful to him. May he find us looking and waiting and watching and eager for that servant and his appearing. May he find us serving that servant until he comes. Such that it would be true of us, the coastlands, that we wait for his law with all eagerness. Let's pray. Jesus, you came and revealed God you showed us what he's like. And we are amazed at the, the gentle, kind compassion of our perfectly holy God. We are surprised every time we encounter you. Lord, I ask that for those who have yet to turn to you, that you would speak these words into their very heart. That this would be a, as a seed that grows, producing the fruit of change and of walking with you. And Lord, for those of us who do, enable us again this week to turn from the dead-end roads that we drive on and behold you afresh and worship you afresh and trust you afresh. You are worthy of all of our praise and all of our life and all of our adoration. In Jesus' name, amen.